This show was first broadcast on Free FM, Hamilton, New Zealand's community access media organisation. For more information on our lineup of shows and the role we play in the media, visit freefm.org.nz. Hello. Let's start with a quiz question today. Give yourself a chocolate fish if you know who said, if people are good only because they fear punishment and hope for reward, then we are a sorry lot indeed. Believe it or not, it was Albert Einstein. Penn Gillette, the American entertainer and half of the comedy magic duo Penn and Teller, has said something similar. That if I regard myself as a religious person, I probably shouldn't be quoting him when he says, behaving morally because of a hope of reward or a fear of punishment is not morality. Morality is not bribery or threats. Religion is bribery and threats. Humans have morality. We don't need religion. Now, putting aside the thorny question of whether humans are naturally moral or not, it seems to me a dubious result coming from a dubious syllogism to say that all religion is bribery and threats. There's far more to religion, any religion, than that. And it's also indisputable that, as His Holiness the Dalai Lama often says, religion has benefited countless beings throughout the ages, whether they've feared punishment, hoped for a reward, or just acted out the urgings of their hearts. Now, I wonder what Mr. Gillette would say if he saw the maxim from the Buddhist mind training teachings with which we ended our last program. Don't hope for reward, or, as some translators have it, abandon any hope of fruition. Perhaps he would find a softer opinion of religion. In any case, last week we followed the story of a follower of the controversial master Chogyan Trumpa and his disciple Pema Chodron, a lady by the name of Caitlin S. Hatch. She told us how not looking for a reward for her meant accepting and embracing everything that arises just as it is, not looking to clutch at pleasing experiences and running from what is distressing. You might remember this from the end of her story. I remember standing in the dining room of the house where I lived in London. I was aware that there were millions of people around me and no one I could turn to. When the thought came into my head, show up for yourself. I wanted a hug, and as lame and cheesy as it sounds, I wrapped my arms around myself, squeezing at the shoulders, pulling my ribs in tight. I fell to the floor and curled up into a ball, squeezing myself tighter and tighter. I remember it like watching a movie, but also being in it at the same time. I could see the part of me that was in so much pain, and the whole storyline that went along with it. And I saw the part of me that loved me and wanted me to see that I was worthy of that love. It was like feeling the love I have for friends, dear close friends, but for myself. I held on and let myself cry. I let myself be heartbroken and angry and alone and afraid and disappointed and grief-stricken. And I kept reminding myself that all those feelings were okay to have. They were normal. They were human. I let myself feel what I was feeling without trying to push it away or make it better or find a solution. Eventually, I pulled myself up off the floor, took myself to my meditation bench and sat. Waves of anxiety washed over me. 
I felt the release of adrenaline and cortisol. The fizz in my stomach as digestion shut down. An icy hot coolness in my veins. And noticed my racing thoughts. I let them race by, not clinging to any of them or getting stuck on the storylines. I was too numb to, too tired and worn down. It was easy to follow the simple instruction I'd heard so many times before and just label each one thinking as it passed by. The emotional and mental pain was still there, but the resistance to it was gone. My suffering stopped being some big, bad, scary thing I had to purge and was just what was going on at that moment, as temporary as anything happening in any other moment. I did not need to change it or fix it or get rid of it. I did not need to label it bad or chase the storyline. I could bear with it, and indeed, this was exactly what I'd been training in by meditating, however irregularly. It's not easy to do, abandoning hope of fruition. This is the single time I've truly done it in my life, but I know it's possible, and I know when we can live by this slogan, by the sense of it and not merely the meaning, it's incredibly powerful. It's always available to us at any given moment to relate to suffering differently. It was one of the most transformative experiences of my life, and it's what gives me faith in the Dharma. That was Caitlin S. Hatch. Now we have a few other explanations of this particular slogan, but before we go on, let's take a moment to remember our motivation. And if we draw a blank or find something selfish and limited, let's turn our mind to bodhicitta, the wish to attain enlightenment for the benefit of all beings. Because the object, that is all beings, is so vast, the effect on our mind will also be very powerful. So let's think about motivation for a moment. Thank you. In the translation of the text we are following, Mind Training Like the Rays of the Sun by Nam Kapel, the slogan reads, Don't hope for reward. But as we've seen, this is also translated as, Abandon any hope of fruition. In his book, The Seven Point Mind Training, B. Allen Wallace translates it as, Abandon all hope for results. He writes, We can dispense first with some very mundane hopes that are not worth nurturing at all. The hope, for example, that others might esteem us more highly as a result of our practice, or offer us service or devotion. Geshe Chikawa identifies other hopes that should not be cultivated, the hope of being invulnerable to harm, or the self-centered hope of attaining a fortunate rebirth, or liberation, or even Buddhahood, as a result of practice. Most important, we are encouraged not to cultivate hopes for great or swift benefits as the result of practice. There is a natural tendency, when our practice starts to go well, to get excited at the prospect of attaining wonderful results very quickly. This excitement is believed to attract maras, malignant entities who create obstacles for us. It is like turning on a neon sign in our thoughts that says, I am on the verge of a great breakthrough. Hey maras, come and get it. Avoid this, because experience teaches us that this kind of excitement over hopes of great and swift results, rather than enhancing the practice, simply creates problems in our meditation. The question of hope and anxiety is important in spiritual practice, 
especially when we enter into sustained and earnest meditative practice. Meditative quiescence is a prime example. If we are dealing with a limited time span as we all are, we naturally hope to attain it in a year or three months. And then I can go on and develop bodhicitta in three months and realization of emptiness in another three months and then tantra and... Not that it's impossible, but beating this drum primes us for anxiety, especially when we bracket our hopes in terms of a specific time, a specific place and a specific technique. We set up a situation of subtle internal panic as we wonder unconsciously, am I on schedule? Will I meet the deadline? In the beginning stages of a practice, self-centeredness is a useful incentive. Instead of simply abandoning it, we gradually strain it out. As Shantideva says in his Guide to a Bodhisattva's Way of Life, if you don't think of developing bodhicitta for your own sake, how can you ever aspire to develop it for others? And his first chapter is devoted exclusively to the benefits of developing bodhicitta. Now whether the practice is mind training, meditative quiescence, bodhicitta, or the realization of emptiness, an awareness of the benefits as well as the potential problems and their antidotes, provides us with a clear understanding of how to engage correctly in the practice. The results will come from correct practice done with earnestness, a proper level of intensity and continuity over a long period of time. They will not come faster by anticipating or longing for them. Now, if Wallace sees it mainly in terms of practice, Jogyong Trumper in his book Training the Mind and Cultivating Loving-Kindness says abandon any hope of fruition means giving up thoughts and intentions about becoming a better person in the world. This slogan, he says, means that you should give up any possibilities of becoming the greatest person in the world by means of your training. In particular, you may quite impatiently expect that because of Lojong practice, now Lojong is Tibetan for mind training, you will become a better person. You may be hoping that you'll be invited to more little clubs and gatherings by your protégés or friends who are impressed with you. The point is that you have to give up any such possibility. Otherwise, you could become an egomaniac. In other words, it is too early for you to collect disciples. Working with the slogans does not mean looking for temporary revelation or trying to achieve something by doing smart little things that have managed to quell people's problems in the past. You may have become a great speaker, or a great psychologist who has managed to conquer other people's neuroses, or a great literary figure who has written several books. Such things are somewhat based on relating with reality, but you want to subjugate the world in your own particular style, however subtle or sneaky it may be. By doing the same kind of trick, you hope to attain enlightenment. You have tuned into a professional approach and become a professional achiever. So there is the possibility that you might approach practice in the same way, thinking that you can actually con the Buddha mind within yourself and sneakily attain enlightenment. So says Chogyam Trumpa. His great disciple Pema Chodron also includes the mind training practices in her book Start Where You Are, A Guide to Compassionate Living. For her, the slogan indicates living fully in the present moment. She writes... Our next slogan is, abandon any hope of fruition. You could also say, give up all hope, or give up, or just give. 
the shorter the better. One of the most powerful teachings of the Buddhist tradition is that as long as you are wishing for things to change, they never will. As long as you are wanting yourself to get better, you won't. As long as you have an orientation towards the future, you can never just relax into what you already have or already are. One of the deepest habitual patterns that we have is to feel that now is not good enough. We think back to the past a lot, which maybe was better than now, or maybe worse. We also think ahead quite a bit to the future, which we may fear, always holding out hope that it might be a little bit better than now. Now, even if now is going really well, we have good health and we've met the person of our dreams, or we just had a child or got the job we wanted, nevertheless, there's a deep tendency always to think about how it's going to be later. We don't quite give ourselves full credit for who we are in the present. For example, it's easy to hope that things will improve as a result of meditation, that we won't have such bad tempers anymore, or we won't have fear anymore, or people will like us more than they do now. Or maybe none of those things are problems for us, but we feel we aren't spiritual enough. Surely we will connect with that awake, brilliant, sacred world that we're going to find through meditation. In everything we read, whether it's philosophy or Dharma books or psychology, there's the implication that we're caught in some kind of very small perspective and that if we just did the right things, we'd begin to connect with a bigger world, a vaster world, different from the one we're in now. One reason I wanted to talk about giving up all hope of fruition is because I've been meditating and giving Dharma talks for some time now, but I find that I still have a secret passion for what it's going to be like when, as they say in some of the classical texts, all the veils have been removed. It's that same feeling of wanting to jump over yourself and find something that's more awake than the present situation, more alert than the present situation. Sometimes this occurs at a very mundane level. You want to be thinner, have less acne, or more hair. But somehow there's almost always a subtle or not so subtle sense of disappointment, a sense of things not completely measuring up. In one of the first teachings I ever heard, the teacher said, I don't know why you came here, but I want to tell you right now that the basis of this whole teaching is that you're never going to get everything together. I felt a little like he just slapped me in the face or thrown cold water over my head. But I've always remembered it. He said, you're never going to get it all together. There isn't going to be some precious future time when all the loose ends will be tied up. Even though it was shocking to me, it rang true. One of the things that keeps us unhappy is this continual searching for pleasure or security, searching for a little more comfortable situation, either at the domestic level or at the spiritual level, or at the level of mental peace. Nowadays people go to a lot of different places trying to find what they're looking for. There are 12-step programs. Someone told me there's now a 24-step program. Someday there will probably be a 108-step program. There are a lot of support groups and different therapies. Many people feel wounded and are looking for something to heal them. To me, it seems that at the root of healing at the root of feeling like a fully adult person is the premise that you're not going to try to make anything go away, that what you have is worth appreciating. 
But this is hard to swallow if what you have is pain. In Boston, there is a stress reduction clinic run on Buddhist principles. It was started by Dr. John Kabat-Zinn, a Buddhist practitioner and author of Full Catastrophic Living. He says that the basic premise of his clinic, to which many people come with a lot of pain, is to give up any hope of fruition. Otherwise, the treatment will not work. If there's some sense of wanting to change yourself, then it comes from a place of feeling that you're not good enough. People come to the clinic with addictions, abuse issues, or stress from work, with all kinds of issues. Yet the simple ingredient of giving up hope is the most important ingredient for developing sanity and healing. And that's the main thing. As long as you're wanting to be thinner, smarter, or more enlightened, less uptight, or whatever it might be, somehow you're going to be approaching your problem with the very same logic that created it to begin with. You're not good enough. That's why the habitual pattern never unwinds itself when you're trying to improve, because you go about it in exactly the same habitual style that caused all the pain to start. There's a life-affirming teaching in Buddhism which is that the Buddha, which means awake, is not someone you worship. Buddha is not someone you aspire to. Buddha is not someone that was born more than 2,000 years ago and was smarter than you will ever be. Buddha is our inherent nature, our Buddha nature. And what that means is that if you're going to grow up fully, the way that happens is that you begin to connect with the intelligence that you already have. It's not like some intelligence that's going to be transplanted into you. If you're going to be fully mature, you will no longer be imprisoned in the childhood feeling that you always need to protect yourself or shield yourself because things are too harsh. If you're going to be a grown-up, which I would define as being completely at home in your world, no matter how difficult the situation, it's because you will allow something that's already in you to be nurtured. You allow it to grow. You allow it to come out, instead of all the time shielding it and protecting it and keeping it buried. Someone once told me, when you feel afraid, that's the fearful Buddha. And that can be applied to whatever you feel. Maybe anger is your thing. You just go out of control and you see red and the next thing you know you're yelling or throwing something or hitting someone. At that time, begin to accept the fact that that is the enraged Buddha. If you feel jealous, that's the jealous Buddha. If you have indigestion, that's Buddha with heartburn. If you're happy, that's happy Buddha. If bored, bored Buddha. In other words, Anything that you can experience or think is worthy of compassion. Anything you can think or feel is worthy of appreciation. The teaching was powerful for me. It stuck. I would find myself in various states of mind and various moods, going up and down, going left and right, falling on my face and sitting up, just in all these different life situations, and I would remember Buddha falling flat on her face. Buddha feeling on top of the world. Buddha longing for yesterday. I began to learn that I couldn't get away from Buddha no matter how hard I tried. I could stick with myself through thick and thin. If one would enter into an unconditional relationship with oneself, one would be entering into an unconditional relationship with Buddha. This is why this slogan says, Abandon any hope of fruition. 
Fruition implies that at a future time you will feel good. And there's another word which is open, to have an open heart, an open mind. This is oriented very much to the present. If you enter into an unconditional relationship with yourself, that means sticking with the Buddha right now on the spot as you find yourself. Pema Children then talks about life in her monastery, saying there is nothing fun about it. Everything gets boring after a while, she says. No sex, no alcohol, no lying. Sometimes the food is good, sometimes terrible. It's just a very uncomfortable place. She says, the reason it is un uncomfortable is that you can't get away from yourself there. However, the more people make friends with themselves, the more they find it a nurturing and supportive place where you can find out the Buddhaness of your own self as you are right now today. Right now today, could you make an unconditional relationship with yourself? Just at the height you are, the weight you are, the amount of intelligence that you have, the burden of pain that you have, could you enter into an unconditional relationship with that? She then refers to her previous book, The Wisdom of No Escape. No escape, she says, leaves you continually right in the present. And the present is whatever it is, whatever mood you happen to be in, whatever thoughts you happen to be having. That's it. Whether you get meditation instruction from the Theravada tradition, or the Zen tradition, or the Vajrayana tradition, the basic instruction is always about being awake in the present moment. What they don't tell you is that the present moment can be you. This you about whom you sometimes don't feel very good. That's what there is to wake up to. When one of the emperors of China asked Bodhidharma, the Zen master who brought Zen from India to China, what enlightenment was, his answer was, lots of space, nothing holy. Meditation is nothing holy. Therefore, there is nothing that you think or feel that somehow gets put in the category of sin. There is nothing that you can think or feel that gets put in the category of bad. There is nothing that you can think or feel that gets put in the category of wrong. It's all good juicy stuff. The manure of waking up. The manure of achieving enlightenment. The art of living in the present moment. And that is Pema Children in her book, Start Where You Are. We now have a couple of more traditional teachings on this slogan. The first from The Great Path of the Awakening, an easily accessible introduction for ordinary people by Jamyong Control, translated by Ken McLeod. This tome translates the slogan as Give up all hope for results and says this means Give up the hope of subduing gods and demons by meditating on mind training, or the hope that you will be considered a good person when you try to help someone who has hurt you. These are hypocritical attitudes. In a word, give up all hope for any result that concerns your own welfare, such as the desire for fame, respect, happiness and comfort in this life, the happiness experienced in the human or God realms in future lives, or the attainment of nirvana for yourself. And then Dilgo Kensirumshe in Enlightened Courage writes about giving up hoping for results. He says, The general effect of mind training is to free the practitioner from hope and fear. We should practice the exchange of happiness and suffering without expecting any reward. We should not hope, for example, 
that because of our practice, many non-human beings will gather around, obeying us and displaying miracles, and that people, prompted by them, will also serve us, bringing us wealth and influence. We should rid ourselves of all selfish ideas and ulterior motives, such as working for others but with a wish for our own individual liberation or rebirth in a pure realm. And now let's visit someone who's been applying the slogan in his life and find out how it's helped him. Rob Fletcher is the author of At Your Best and the founder of Quicksoap Consulting. He's written a couple of blogs on the slogan on the site quicksoapconsulting.com. He says, I've been living with and been greatly soothed this summer by a Buddhist slogan, Abandon Any Hope of Fruition. This cheery bit of advice is the only thing posted on my to-do list on my desk. I see it every day, whether it registers consciously or not. Pause and note what your initial reaction to those five words strung together bring up in you. Years ago, when I first read the slogan, I felt pretty down, mixed with some indignation. Abandon all hope? Really? What is this, Dante? Now I'm glad I let it in enough to move my life. It puts in bold relief whether I'm moving through my life in a way that I enjoy or declining that invitation. We can do the same task accompanied by a host of different feelings about it. Tired, distracted, resentful, miserable, light, silly, happy, quiet, relaxed. You get the idea. As Duke Ellington wrote, It ain't what you do, it's how you do it that makes the difference. If I give up hope of fruition, all hope is a bit too much for me right now, I'm faced with looking honestly at what I'm feeling about what I'm doing right now. It's easier to slog through task after task, hoping that someday reward will show up at my doorstep. This be better be worth it is the rallying cry for this mode. But what if it isn't? What if it doesn't have a happy ending? Would you be doing something different right now in this moment or this time of your life? This handy little phrase has helped me stop doing a lot of things that were sheer misery for me and it has helped force me to reorient the way I'm doing something so that it also feeds me in the moment. If I can't find some element of delight in something as I'm doing it, it's best for me not to do it or wait as patiently as I can until I do. I'm well versed in trudging, but it's not me at my best. And I need me at my best. The people around me need me at my best. And the world needs me at my best. And we need you too to be at your best. To find the element of delight, perhaps hidden for the moment, that is coursing through the hard, valuable work that you do. He followed this up with another blog that reads, My last post talked about the Buddhist slogan of abandoning all hope of fruition. What if we put that in the center of any project we are managing, either in our own lives or work team life? We're left simply with, am I able to find the delight, peace, fulfillment that is available to me at any moment of the day in any task? I'm going to leave that question for you to mull over in the next week. For now, our time is up. And those are the teachings for today. Isn't it amazing what three or four little words from centuries ago can blossom into? Now as you go, please dedicate any positive potential from the program today to gaining enlightenment for the benefit of all beings. I hope you will tune in again next week. 
Until then, go well and goodbye. Thanks for listening to this Free FM podcast. If you want to hear more content like this, you can support Free FM via Patreon. Head to patreon.com/freefm89 to find out more.